Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. In case this is your first episode, let me quickly introduce myself. I am Narad Muni and I am a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. And I am a traveling musician and a storyteller by profession. I used to walk around with a veena for several millennia, but podcasting has made my job so much easier. First of all, I want to wish all of you listeners a very happy new year. If you're wondering about the title of today's episode, yes, this is a mashup of a creepy story of a doll coming to life and Alibaba and the 40 thieves. if you heard that one from the arabian nights this is a folk tale from a state in southern india a state called tamil nadu there was once a happy family in a village in pre-industrial times the family consisted of a farmer who worked all day in the fields his wife who worked all day in the house cleaning and cooking and sewing and the farmer's mother who did nothing all day she contributed nothing at all to the household in fact she couldn't even be bothered to speak to her daughter-in-law except there was one important decision that she would make every day and that was a decision on whether the daughter-in-law should make two cups of rice or three for dinner She didn't communicate her decision through speech either. She would simply hold up two fingers or three. It might seem like an arbitrary decision, but it didn't matter. Everyone seemed to be content with the decision. The farmer or his wife never ever wished they had two cups of rice instead of three or vice versa, which makes one really question why it was such an important decision. The extent of the daughter-in-law's codependency issues was made pretty clear when the farmer's mother passed away. The farmer's wife was distraught. How could she imagine living in a cruel world where she had to make her own decision? At the funeral, everyone admired her for the way she was showing her affection for her mother-in-law. But secretly, The daughter-in-law was worried about the decision she would have to make for dinner that night. She confided her fears to her husband. Instead of inspiring some confidence in his wife or volunteering to chip in with the rice decision or even just giving her a coin and asking her to flip it, Hetsus 2 tells us 3, he instead decided to solve this problem by sending his wife on a shopping spree. Because the only store in the village was that of a potter, the wife came back with a lifelike clay statue of her mother-in-law. And then she did the big reveal. One hand was in a two-finger gesture and the other in a three-finger one, exactly the way her mother-in-law herself communicated her decision. Despite living in a world that makes it easy to make such a binary choice, I mean, sure, the daughter-in-law couldn't ask a Google Home or Alexa to toss a coin. 
she could have tossed a physical one or just depended on the weather or maybe based on the number of oxen on the first car to pass her house every day from then on the wife would look at the statue from whatever vantage point she was in when the right decision had to be made if she saw the three finger hand first she would make three cups of rice if she saw the two finger hand first she would make two cups at this point if the psychologists amongst you look at this particular development as proof that she was weaning herself off of her mother-in-law you may want to reconsider after several days and months when the farmer was finally calculating his income tax returns his sarel or turbo tax app told him his food expenses were too high add to that fact that he had one less dependent to claim the farmer was puzzled why were his food expenses so high he opened up the spreadsheet where he maintained all his expenses categorized by food and was surprised to discover the rice expenses hadn't gone down they had actually gone up he and his wife appeared to be consuming at least as much rice as when his mother was also around he had a benchmark as well so he knew it was an inflation or something just yesterday his neighbor and fellow farmer was remarking how little he had to spend on food for his own family this year the farmer quickly confronted his wife with the facts and this is where it begins to get dark honey i'm surprised we're consuming the same amount of rice as last year and why shouldn't we asked his wife why are you surprised look i don't want to bring up the obvious and this may be a painful topic for you but you're asking for it ever since mother passed away at this point the wife made a shocked face and interrupted hush dear don't talk about mother that way you may be joking and i can see past that but she wouldn't suddenly alarmed the farmer asked who wouldn't why mother of course came the reply if this is about her spirit roaming around and listening in and watching everything we do began the farmer but his wife interrupted him knock it off it's not funny you know as well as i do mother's in the next room a chill went down the farmer's spine he motioned for silence and cautiously crept to the entrance to the next room he slowly peered in no one there except for his mother staring back at him he was instantly reminded of the time in his childhood when she had scolded him harshly for dirtying his clothes only it wasn't his mother it was the statue a thought suddenly struck him do you talk to mother often he asked his wife all the time his wife said mother has always been such a good listener does she talk back he asked not more than usual replied the wife but that didn't mean much the farmer's mother never said anything anyway and then suddenly another thought struck him has she been eating yeah was the quick reply she eats and she finishes everything in her plate i serve her i'm back in a bit and find she's eaten everything 
Her appetite has never been better. Instead of this being the scary moment, kind of like when the mom realizes the talking doll never had batteries in it, the farmer had a completely different reaction. Maybe it was the effect of tax day, but he was so annoyed by this that he kicked his wife out of the house. And maybe because there was the remotest chance that the statue was alive and eating off of his earnings, he made his wife take the statue with her. He really should have found a doctor for her instead, or at a minimum, secretly observed what was happening here. Because the statue wasn't eating the rice, of course. It was the neighbor who would sneak in and make off with the food and eat it at her place. Despite his unsympathetic reaction, the farmer will get lucky anyway, thanks to his wife even though he doesn't deserve it at all. His wife still carried the statue. Despite having nowhere to go, she went into the forest. And that was a very poor choice, given the wild animals and thieves. Not to mention, she had to carry her life-size mother-in-law everywhere. Finally, she decided to spend the night in a tree. She achieved the miraculous feat of climbing a tree with the statue. She tied her sari around the tree. A sari is a very long cloth worn by women in India. Very convenient for tying yourself to a tree so that you can't fall off the tree in your sleep. She still clutched on to her mother-in-law's statue. Pretty soon, a bunch of thieves arrived at the base of that very tree. They matched the stereotype of thieves. They wore masks, they carried big bags of gold, jewels, and money. No electronics, however. Pre-industrial, remember? They did what thieves do at the end of every heist. They spread out a big picnic blanket, spilled out the loot, and began dividing it amongst themselves. Just then, the farmer's wife, who could no longer hold on to the statue, let it slip out of her hands. The statue fell with a huge crash and broke into pieces. All the thieves ran away on impact, frightened by what they thought were demons in the dark. I mean, it seems a bit paradoxical for thieves to be scared of demons in the dark, given they operated in the dark, mostly robbing strangers, who for all they knew could turn out to be demons. The farmer's wife waited a few moments to make sure the thieves weren't coming back, and then hopped down. The sight of all that gold quickly made her forget her broken mother-in-law. She carried all the gold she could, and instead of buying the Windsor Palace or the Eiffel Tower with it, she went back to the one person whom she knew, the one who had kicked her out in the first place, despite the way he treated her. His initial reaction of annoyance at seeing her again immediately changed to joy as he saw all the gold. Which goes to show, money can buy you love. And a cure for psychosis as well. So once you have a lot of gold, what's the first thing you do? You need to know how much gold you have. The only sensible way to do that is to measure the amount of gold by weighing it. 
For that, you need a weighing scale. And the farmer and his wife didn't have one. While some people would simply have bought a weighing scale at this point, the farmer didn't want to do that. He was a data guy, and he needed to measure the entire amount that his wife brought back. And buying a weighing scale would mean that there would be some gold taken out. He suggested, why don't we borrow our neighbor's weighing scale? He's got the latest ergonomic Weighmaster model. It prints your weight on one side and your fortune on the other. The wife rolled her eyes. Our fortune's made, it doesn't need telling. But I'll borrow their scale. It's a lot quicker than going to the store. Their neighbor was surprised that the farmer and his wife had anything worth measuring. She had been upset ever since the wife had been kicked out, because that meant she had to cook her own food. She was surprised to see the farmer's wife back and was further surprised that she needed to measure anything, much less at the scale the Waymaster was capable of. I mean, if it were anything light, the farmer and his wife could have done it the very scientific way of left hand versus right hand. The neighbor quickly greased the bottom of the pants. Because she had read the story of Alibaba and the 40 thieves and knew it had worked for Kasim's wife. She was rewarded with a gold coin, just like Kasim's wife. And just like Kasim's wife, the neighbor convinced the farmer's wife to tell her everything. And just like Alibaba's wife, the farmer's wife told her as well, but swore her to secrecy. The neighbor was incredibly jealous of the farmer's wife and decided to one-up her. The neighbor had a special statue made and promptly took it to the same tree. She was getting tired of waiting when suddenly the same thieves arrived. Before you accuse the thieves of a lack of judgment, consider that this may have been a ruse to see who came and took all their gold the previous day. Not long after, the neighbor dropped the statue down on purpose and it did seem to have the effect she intended. The thieves scampered, but not too far. Once bitten, twice shy. They kept watch from a distance. The neighbor jumped down from the tree, eagerly unwrapping the loot. The thieves, seeing how they had been fooled, were sure the neighbor had pulled this trick on them the previous day as well. They promptly disposed of her and went back to their happy life of thieving and robbing. I don't want to say the farmer and his wife lived happily ever after. After the way he had treated her, the wife realized she didn't need to be with him. All the money she had earned in a single night was more than what the farmer had earned in his entire lifetime. She hired the most expensive bullock cart with a convertible top, a cart driver in livery, dual cup holders and a DVD player and set off on a round the world trip. That's it for this week. The character this week is Mount Meru. Meru is a mountain but not just an ordinary mountain. First of all, it's the center of the universe, in a physical, metaphysical, and spiritual sense. Secondly, its size is what makes it extraordinary. 
It's about a million kilometers or almost 700,000 miles high. Thirdly, what makes this mountain special is its composition. It presents four faces, crystal, ruby, gold, and lapis lazuli, because why not? There are many depictions of Mount Meru and I've linked some pictures on the site. Check those out. There are a few different actual mountains on earth called Meru. There's one in India, another in Indonesia, and a third one in Tanzania. The one in Tanzania wasn't, but the other two were definitely named after the mythological Meru. Next week, we are back to Krishna as we talk about some events in his childhood and adolescence, including one that may have a special meaning for an upcoming holiday in India. The character next week is a snake, a very special snake, since its behavior is tied to the flow of time. When the snake uncoils, time can move forward. But when it coils, time stops and the universe itself can blink out of existence. Since I'm several thousands of years old, my memory can be imperfect at times. If you see any errors, please point them out to me by leaving a comment or a review on sfipodcast.com or you can tweet at sfipodcast or find me on Instagram or on Facebook. If you haven't already, I also recommend subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. That way, you'll be notified automatically when new shows and bonus episodes appear. I want to thank everyone for their contributions and their feedback and comments. I highly appreciate it. I'll also call out a few people this week. Paritosh, Smita, Saumitra, Richa, Sunita, Michael, Jacob, and Srihari. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next week.